You know, joy is one of those things that we spend uh, a lot of time talking about at church, but it's not necessarily one of those things that we experience anywhere else. I, I was listening as they uh, wrote, uh, uh, read the Advent reading this morning and then lit the candles and then listening to some of the words of that song. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's it's something that we talk about at Christmas and we write it on our Christmas cards and and uh, we see it on television at the Hallmark movies, of which it's an unending supply I discovered yesterday uh, after talking with my wife. They never go away. They never end. It's just one after the other. And you never know what's going to happen with those Hallmark movies either. You know, just, just a little point. If, you can't tell that I watched a couple of those yesterday, can you? She said that I only watched one in 15 minutes of another, but I thought I watched like 12 hours of them. It felt like an awful lot of Hallmark movies, is all I'm saying. Anyway, joy. You know, joy is not one of those things that, um, that we really experience that much. I, I took a few moments yesterday after I was working here at the office, and, and uh, I had to pick up a few items at the mall. And so joy is not necessarily, Brent, one of those things that you experience at the mall. No, no, pepper spray maybe. You know, you might get pepper spray at the mall, but I'm not thinking that joy is one of those things you see a lot of. Joy isn't necessarily one of those things you get a lot of at work at this time of the year because you're closing in on the end of the year. If you're in school, Ivy, then you're getting ready for all the testing and all the end of the semester stuff. And you're, you know, you got to get ready for the break and all that stuff. Joy isn't one of those things you even normally get in the weather, though this year has been pretty decent because it's kind of dark and dreary out there sometimes. And you know, even at home sometimes, it's not, it's, you know, you're getting the house ready, the parties, the cleaning, and all the wrapping, and the decorating, and all those kinds of things. And I, I'm thinking joy, really, what is it? If you had to sit down and write a definition, I was working on that this past week. We talked about it in our, in our staff meeting, and, and I think one of the things that is true for us is that we don't really understand what joy actually is. I think that we've substituted something else for joy. Something that's not necessarily bad, but we've substituted something else for joy. I think we've substituted happiness for joy. We've accepted kind of a cheap knockoff. A couple years ago, I got a present from my wife, and it was one that I was kind of excited about when I opened it up because it was like a blast from the past. It, they sold it at the kiosks out at the mall, and... You know, it's one of those where you, you go in and, and it's got all the old video games. Anybody remember seeing that one for like 29 or $49 or whatever it was at the mall? You walk through and, you know, they stick it in your hands, do this. And it had all the great video games. It had Pac-Man and it had Ms. Pac-Man. It had the original Mario Brothers. It had Pong on it. Remember that one? You know, I'll date myself just a little bit there. You know, the original Frogger, all those kinds of things. I opened it up and I look at that and I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. So I plug it in, Chris. I get all the stuff on the computer. I get it all done. You know, it's all ready. And I sit down there in front of the TV with the little controller and I bring it up. And out comes the little Pac-Man thing. And I run over there to the right and I, and I push it over there just like I always did. And it broke off in my hand first time. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, what happened? So I, I had another one. You know, they had two controllers with it, you know, so that others could play with me and and I got that one, and I plugged it all in. You know, it must have just been like a little fluke, you know. And so I hit the button again, and the little Pac-Man thing comes out, and I run over to the right, and it breaks off in my hand. 
And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what a chip. I got this cheap knockoff. You know, it looks like the real thing. You know, you look at it and you do it and you play with it. I think you must use a different one at the mall or something when they let you try it. I don't know what happened, but, but you get one thing that looks like the real thing, but it really, really isn't at all. That, I think, is what has happened with us with joy. We've bought into something that looks real, but it's not. It seems like the real thing for, for all intents and purposes from the outside looking in. You go, this, this is it. This is what I want. This is what will satisfy. This is what will fulfill. This is what will be good. But when you begin to actually work with it, you end up looking at it and going, this, this isn't real. This doesn't satisfy. This doesn't really meet the need of my heart. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk with you for a few moments about joy. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I'm going to read a couple of different passages for you along the way. If you're following along in the Bible that's there in the chair, you should find it on page 729. Page, I'm sorry, 724. I'm going to start reading for you. Uh, it's actually a little of the passage of Scripture that Chris read for you this morning. Acts, chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 8. The Scripture says this, and it says... And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. And it will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. Back in verse 10 is really the focus of what we're looking at. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'll bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's start off with a quick definition, okay? And I'll be honest with you from the very beginning, I don't like it. I kind of combined both a a, um, Webster's uh, dictionary uh, definition and kind of a theological definition because they overlap a little bit, but... But it really doesn't capture the essence of what I think joy is. Here's here's if you take a look at Webster's, what he says. Joy is the emotion created by the well-being. Joy is the emotion created by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the promise of receiving those things. It originates in gratitude and unshakable trust in God, who has helped and is still helping his people. While it's internal, joy often manifests itself in outer expressions such as laughter, shouting, or other exuberant expressions. And if you take a look at the synonyms, it comes up with things like delight and bliss and pleasure and happiness. So if you think about joy, it's one of those internal pieces 
that's really, really hard to define. It's something going on in the spirit. It's something going on in the heart. It's an internal piece that kind of says this. It says things are the way they are supposed to be, or things are going to be the way that they are supposed to be. It carries with it that connotation that life is Right, that life is good, and, and that kind of wells up from the inside with that sense of well-being, that sense of gratitude, that sense of rightness from the inside out. Let's, let's do this. I think it will help a little bit if we contrast both joy and happiness. And we put the same two up on the board here, and I think maybe it will, it will kind of help us bring it into focus a little bit, okay? Let's, let's think about it. And, and just from the get-go, let me say this. Happiness is not a bad thing. Happiness is a good thing. Happiness is a part of what God has created us to enjoy, something that God has made for us. But, but when we buy one for the other, when we substitute one for the other, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. When we think that one is going to last and one is going to satisfy, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Joy is based in God. Joy is something that says, I am in connection with Him. I am in relationship with Him. And by the way, that's what we were made for, right? We were made for relationship with the Father. We are spiritual beings at our core and at our essence. This body that we have one day is going to be gone. It's going to disappear. And yet the essence of who we are is going to continue on. And so when you think about that, joy says that I am in relationship with God. I am in connection with God. That life is functioning the way that it is supposed to function. And I'm pleased with what is taking place. That, that my relationship with Him is unhindered. My relationship with God is functioning the way that it's supposed to. Happiness, on the other hand, is not this based in God thing. Happiness is based entirely in something else. Happiness in, is based sometimes in others. You make me happy. That's all well and good until, guess what? You don't make me happy anymore. You do something that disappoints me. Happiness is based in circumstances. Which is all well and good until circumstances change. Happiness is based in events. It's going to be a great party. I'm going to enjoy the ball game. It's going to be a great picnic. I'm going to love spending time with you. It's always based in someone or something else rather than based in that foundational, fundamental relationship with God. Joy is internal. It's something that is on the inside and works its way out. While happiness is external, it's dependent upon something or someone else outside of me. Joy says that I have found, I have discovered, I have realized... That there is a purpose in life that is greater than I am. The best-selling book of all time other than the Bible. Purpose-driven life. Begins with the first line. You remember what it says? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, It's not about me. Joy says that I have discovered that there is something in life that is more significant than me. I have a purpose beyond myself, greater than myself. And I've plugged into that. My life matters, my life counts, and it's not just about what I get out of life. Happiness's purpose is 
myself. It's all about me. And what I want and what I experience and what I like and what I don't like. And as you help me get what I want, then you're important and it makes me happy. And when you do not give me what I want and you don't make me happy anymore, then you're not important in my life anymore. Go away. Leave me alone. I don't have time for you. Because it's all about me and my happiness. And if you're honest, if you look around, you'll know that there are some people in your life that live that way. Joy is enhanced by trials. It is built up. It is made stronger by trials. That's why Peter says to us, when you're going through those difficult times, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. You understood that there's a purpose in what God is allowing, what God is doing in your life that's greater than you are. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to take a look at that passage of Scripture, because in that passage... Peter is describing to us that there is something in life greater than we are. Something in life that's more significant than we are. And that when those events come, those difficulties, those trials, those tribulations, it doesn't make life less. It doesn't make our joy less. In fact, when we're connected with God, we can see the purpose beyond those trials and tribulations, and it makes them better. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we put our faith and our confidence and our trust in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we have a new life. We have a new hope. There's something going on bigger than we are. God is working in me and He's making something out of my life that is significant. He's given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. God's doing something in you and for you that's even bigger than what's taking place here in this life. He's got something coming your way. That's never going to fade, that's never going to rust, that's never going to spoil. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. As you put your faith and confidence and trust in Him, He holds you in the hollow of His hand. And yes, though trials and tribulations and difficulties come, you're still held by Him. Now look at this next line. In this, verse 6. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In this, in this confidence, in this unshakable trust in God, that He's got something going on in your life that's bigger than you are, that's bigger than the moment, that is significant, that's never going to fade, that's never going to be destroyed, that's never going to be taken away, that's never going to be ruined. And yes, today, if I look at the circumstances and the situation and the people in my life, it looks a little shaky. It looks a little sketchy. It looks like things aren't going the way that I want them to go. But I have this unshakable confidence and trust in God that He is doing something in my life. And He's working for my good. These have come, these trials. So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. 
and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are, look at this, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your soul. You see, what joy says is, the trials and the tribulations that come my way, the difficulties that I walk through, the events and the circumstances that hurt, they're not pointless. God is doing something through them. You hear people say it all the time. You just have to believe that there's a purpose in the universe. No, you don't have to believe there's a purpose in the universe. You have to believe that there's a point and purpose in what God specifically is doing and allowing in your life. It's a personal attention from the creator of the universe that says, Brent, I'm going to shape you into the man that I want you to be. Not just here in this life, but in the life to come. And because my goal in you is so much greater than what you can see, I'm going to allow this little bit of trial and tribulation because it's going to purify you and it's going to strengthen you and it's going to make you more of what I want you to be and what I created you to be. And when you tap into that and when you understand that, then the difficulties of the trials and the tribulations, they enhance that sense of joy. No, not because you're a masochist and you like pain, but because you see that God is doing something in you. That He hasn't put you up on the shelf, He hasn't set you to the side, but that God is at work in you. And He's creating you into the person that He wants you to be. Happiness, though, is destroyed by trials. Because it's dependent upon those things. It's an external working its way into your life. Joy, when you tap into true joy, is limitless and it is sustainable. It is something that continues to work. Because as long as your connection with the Father is right, as long as you're in relationship with Him, as long as you're in connection with Him, then that joy continues to, as the song says, well up from within. It doesn't go away. But happiness is limited and it's unsustainable. You know what happens. You walk through the mall this time of the year and you look and you go, you know what? If I had that flat screen, oh yeah, that's all I need. If I had that iPad, if I had that computer, if I had that leather coat, if I had that car, if I had that boat, if I had that house, then I would be happy. That's all I need. And you get it. And it's awesome. You sit down in front of your big flat screen and you go, wow, that is so incredible. It's the biggest and the best one on the market until next week. <laughs> and then you go see your buddy and you go, hey, did you see my new flat screen? And it's so much better than yours. And then all of a sudden you go back and you go, look at that cheesy thing that I got. Because you see, 
you're depending upon something from the outside to make you happy. And it never will. It will always, always let you down. Joy is something that is given to us by relationship with the Father. Happiness is something that we constantly pursue. And we only hold it in our hand for just a moment. It's like I grew up on the beach in Florida. Did, did you ever sit down in the edge of the surf and just get a handful of sand and try and squeeze it in your hand? And then hold it in the water. You know what happens to it? Grain by grain, it just goes away. You can't hold it. It it disappears one little tiny bit at a time. And that's what happens with happiness. It disappears one little tiny bit at a time. So, let's do this. Let me talk with you for just a few moments about three different... I'm going to call them joy builders, okay? As you look at this passage of Scripture, three things that... Bring joy, authentic joy, true joy, biblical joy into our life, okay? Three different things that will do it for us. Number one is finding your place in God's plan. Finding your place in God's plan. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 44, okay? Luke chapter 1 and verse 44. A great passage of scripture as it talks about what is going on here Uh, In this passage, and then Luke chapter 1, verse 38. So here's what's going on. The birth of Jesus is foretold. Um, The angel Gabriel comes and he speaks to Mary and he says, You're going to be with child and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You know, Christ the Savior is going to be born here in Bethlehem. And so she's trying to process that in her mind and she's trying to process that in her heart. And verse 35 says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So you pick up the story here in verse 39. Mary uh, goes and she hurries down to visit Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. She goes into Zechariah's home and she's greeted by Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. So this is Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who is carrying at this point John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Christ, who is the one that Elizabeth was blessed with so that he could go in advance of Jesus. He could go in advance of the Messiah and he could be the one who would say, prepare your heart for what God is going to do. John's purpose in life, John's reason for being, as he was in relationship with the Father, was that he was the one that God ordained to go and prepare people, go and prepare people's heart for Jesus. Jesus spoke about John one day and he said, There's never been any man ever born who was greater than John the Baptist. And John's purpose in life was to prepare people's heart for Christ. And so when Mary, who is carrying Jesus, meets Elizabeth, her cousin, look what happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby is John the Baptist. The baby that leaps in her womb, the baby that moves at the the sound of Mary's voice is John the Baptist. 
The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in my womb leaped, and there's your word, that's what you're looking for. Why? For joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You see, even in the womb, John the Baptist knew why he was here. He found his place in God's plan. Mary says to the angel Gabriel, May it be to you, may be to me as you have said. She understood why she was there. She understood what God was doing in her life. If you go back and you look at the passage, here's what takes place. The first part of the passage, the angel comes and he says to her, Hey Mary, this is what is going to happen. The angel is going to um, uh, bring you with child. He's going to overshadow you. And at that point, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to be the one who brings forth the promised one of God. And the scripture says Mary was pretty upset. She's trying to figure out how does this all come into to, to practice, how does this all come into reality? How is this all going to work its way out? And then at that point, after she has time to process it, and after she has some opportunity to meet with, with Elizabeth, she says, may it be to you, to me, as you have said. And then after she meets with Elizabeth, all of a sudden she begins to realize what God is doing. She, she understands her place in God's plan. And take a look at how she responds when all of a sudden... She gets it. When she gets her eyes off of herself, when she gets her eyes off of her circumstances, when she gets her eyes off of what is the struggle going to be in my life, what are the consequences going to be in my life, what, what is going to happen with me, what is going to happen with Joseph, how is this all going to play its way out, when all of a sudden all that fades into the background and she gets a grip on what God is doing and her place in that plan. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, there's your word, in God my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. And she goes on and on and on. And talks about all that God is going to do through the one that she brings forth. But she moves from being disturbed, from being upset, from trying to process what is going on. When, when she gets her eyes off of herself and she begins to see what God is doing, then she is able to say, my soul rejoices in God because she understood her place in God's plan. That's what we were made for, was to know Him, to serve Him, and to serve others in His name. And you see, when, when we do that, we discover joy from the inside out. It, it's very paradoxical. It, it's very much... You know, counterintuitive. It's very different than what you would think. That's why at this time of the year people start going, you know what, I, I think 
I think that I want to serve in the food pantry. I think I want to serve in the soup kitchen. I think I want to, to give a gift rather than get a gift. And, and what, they're, what they're doing sometimes without even understanding or without even realizing is they're finding God's, they're placing God's plan. And they're realizing that, that rather than go and have a big meal for themselves, which gives them temporary happiness, as they go and serve hungry people, they find they're placing God's plan. That produces authentic joy. That's why we do it. That's why we like it. That's what drives us. That's what motivates us. Sometimes we don't even know why. All we know is that it feels good. Because we're finding God's place in our plan. When we understand that and we're able to do it intentionally and we're able to program it and build it into our life, then pieces begin to fall into place. The second thing that builds joy in us is when we share God's blessing. Now, now let me define that. I'm not talking about whenever I talk to you and I give you God's blessing. What I'm talking about is something a little bit different. What I'm talking about is when, Michael, you are experiencing that joy and you are experiencing God's goodness in your life and, and you're, you're filled with that and it's overflowing in your life and, and I'm not necessarily connected as much as I do, then then what I want to do is I want to kind of draw up close and I want to warm myself at your fire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Making you a little nervous, isn't it? <laughs> more, more than a little, oh, more than a little nervous right there. Take, take your Bibles toward me if you would to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 58. I want you to take a look at that passage of Scripture. The second time that you see this term come into play here. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Now, remember the story. Elizabeth has been infertile. She struggled with infertility for her whole life. She is well past the age of childbearing. When she becomes pregnant. And in that day and age, as we said a couple of weeks ago, in that culture, because children were viewed as a blessing from God, if you had no children, then the assumption was that God was judging you. I'm not saying that that is true. I'm saying that's what the cultural understanding was. And so now, all of a sudden... The one who has never had the ability to have a child has a child. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy. And look at that last line. And they shared her joy. Have you ever noticed sometimes that being with someone who is experiencing God's blessing in their life is sometimes even better than experiencing it yourself. Every grandparent gets that. Right? You understand. Parents get that. As much as, much as you enjoy God's blessing in your own life, wow, to to see that in someone that you love. And sometimes you just want to get close 
and bask in that glory and enjoy that goodness. You just want to share with it. It's kind of interesting, you know, the old saying that, you know, joys are multiplied when they are shared and sorrows are halved. They're cut in half. Burdens are, burdens are shared and they're lessened. But joys are multiplied, they're made more. And one of the things that brings us joy in life is when we draw near to other people who are enjoying God's goodness. And because we love them, we can share with them. I mean, what, what must it have been like to walk into Elizabeth's home and see her holding that baby? After decades of people whispering and being judgmental and being harsh and being ugly and being rude and being unkind, what must it have been like to know that God was blessing her when you loved her and cared for her and she was a close friend. That builds joy in our hearts in life when we do that with people that we know and when we love. And the last thing that builds joy in our life is when we see and share and hear the message of God's love. Luke chapter 2. It's the message of the angels. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. By the way, shepherds were not very well looked upon in that day and age. Shepherds were not allowed to testify in court because they were untrustworthy. Remember the old, the old thing that they had going on with, quote, gypsies? You know, gypsies were untrustworthy and they'll steal your kid. Yeah, all this craziness. That's the same kind of cultural assumption that people had about shepherds in that day and age. Very unlikely people that the angels were going to show up and send over to see the Christ job. On the bottom of the social spectrum, let me tell you. Maybe because everybody else wasn't open to what God was doing. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, has been born a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The word for favor means to wish someone the best. It means to desire good on their behalf. And you see, the message of the good news that the shepherds were to bring and the message of the good news that we bring to others is when we, when we help people understand that God's favor rests on them. That He wishes the very best for them. See, now that's, that's a very different mindset that many people have today about God, isn't it? 
Many people have this mindset about God, either that he's too busy because he's got more important things to do, or that he's angry with them because they have done something wrong, or that he's distracted by all the things that are taking place, or he simply doesn't care about them, he doesn't see them, he doesn't know what's going on in their life, they're not significant enough for him to pay attention to. But the reality is very, very different. The reality is that God's favor rests on us. The reality is, Winnie, that He wishes the very best for you. When His mind and His heart turns in your direction, the thought is, how can I bless you? How can I restore relationship with you? How can I walk with you? How can I wish you, give you, bring you the very best? You see, that's the good news of Christ being born. That's what brings joy. And when we see that, and when we hear that, and when we share that, we discover our purpose for being. When we see it and experience it ourselves, we're in the relationship that God created us for. And when we share it with others, we're bringing people into that relationship as well. Most of us are pursuing the wrong thing this Christmas. We we bought the cheap substitute. We, We are thinking that the presents or the parties or some other person is going to bring us joy. And we get it and we plug it in. And we play with it for just a moment. But then it breaks. And we go, oh, I need to go back and get a newer, better, faster, more improved version 3.1. And that will bring me joy. Oh, well. Because guess what? It's going to break too. What you want is you want to find your place in God's plan. And then just like John the Baptist, every time you hear his voice, Don's saying, this is what I want you to do. From the inside out, it wells up. Because you know you're doing exactly what he made you to do. That brings joy. You need to find people in your life that are experiencing that and slide up close. Enjoy some of that reflected goodness. And then you need to hear the reality that God wishes you best. He does. So much so that He was willing to pay the price for your sin when His Son Jesus died on the cross. You see, you can't separate the birth from the death. You can't separate the birth from the resurrection. He came to die, to be raised, so that that relationship with the Father would be restored. Because you see, God wishes us the very best.
And He's made it possible for us to experience in that. But we do that through relationship with Him. Take a look at the prayer that we wrote this week. Father, I know there are people seeking joy all around me. People that are desperately chasing happiness, thinking it will satisfy. I ask you to show them to me. I ask you to give me the courage to go and look for them. I ask you to give me the words to speak and the actions to take that make your joy clear to them. God, give me the courage to walk across the room. With all my heart, I say, here am I, send me. And God, when I hear you speak, I will be quick to hear. Quick to go. Quick to share your joy. And the most amazing thing that you'll discover is this. When you give that joy away, it multiplies yours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity that we have to come and look at joy in our heart and in our life. And Lord, I know as I look around the room, I can sense in my spirit that there are a number of people that are very close to the edge this morning. They've been pursuing and chasing all the wrong things. Some of them have already bought into some cheap imitation. Now they're disappointed because it's not delivering what it promised. God, I pray this morning that in my life you will help me to pursue those things that bring authentic joy. And I pray in the hearts and lives of those who are gathered here this morning that that will be a reality for them as well. God, help joy to be not just what we sing about, not just what we write on our Christmas cards, not just something that we see on the TV, but help joy to be real in our hearts and in our life this week so that we have it and we can share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.